We're going to do a four-part series on spiritual warfare, and uh, we're going to start with ruling yourself, which is really uh, what spiritual warfare is all about. We'll get to that. So let's pray and jump in. Lord, we uh, just as always ask you to open your word to us, to give us understanding. Uh, Lord, we want to be better at this. Uh, Lord, we ask for your help. And Lord, I pray that you would give your people confidence today in their ability to rule over themselves and to glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, if you're a young person in here, you should really pay attention. This can save you a lot of headache in the future. I would encourage you. This is core foundational stuff. Huh? And heartache. Uh, if you're old, probably should listen to. Because if you're like me, you may not have it all down yet. All right. I want to start with uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is an interesting little passage where John is reviewing things we know. He says we know about five times in this little passage. And so I just want to see if we know what we know that we're supposed to know. Right? So he says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not sure I know that. Uh, this is, understand right off the bat, this is the bar. This is the potential. We have the potential to never sin. To, you know, but we still have this battle with our flesh. So it's okay uh, if, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm not sure I even have that first line down yet. Uh, you're still in the right place. It's all good. All right. So we know whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. A couple things there. Um, there are lots of verses that talk about God keeping us. Uh, my favorite is 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you or keep you from the evil one. I love that God does that. But I want to point out here that it says, he who has been born of God keeps himself. There are two people that can give devils access to you. One of them is God. The other one is you. And so, yes, God keeps us, but we also, it's really clear, we need to keep ourselves. And so this passage is addressing the part that's in our court where we have to keep ourselves. And the wicked one does not touch him. Now, in case you're thinking, I like that. I like the wicked one does not touch me. I'm going to go all MC Hammer on that. And, uh, right? If I had the pants, I, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's right. You guys would engage in spiritual warfare right there, wouldn't you? But I just want to point out that you can't really claim the wicked one does not touch me unless you're doing whoever's born of God doesn't sin and keeps himself. Those are prerequisites to the third part of the verse. Yes, the wicked one doesn't touch us if we keep ourselves and don't sin. All right? So by all means, claim that verse, but we got to do all three parts. All right. So we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And what we're going to see in this passage is um, 
it, there's this weird dichotomy. We're called to love a world that is on the other side, that plays for the wrong team. Um, and so uh, it really is an A, B, binary, either or situation. You're either in Christ or under the sway of the wicked one. And even nice people like our neighbors who don't know Jesus and we like them, but we got to remember they are under the sway of the wicked one. And so this is going to impact this whole ruling ourselves thing. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. What's this understanding? That we may know him who is true and that we are in him who is true. Two things. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he finishes with little children, keep yourself from idols. And uh, what he's saying there is, and I'm going to explain this, we're going to break this down. He's going through this passage, he's saying, because of the things I said, it's really important that you keep yourself from idols. Okay? Now, let's go through this a little bit. And there's a couple words here that I want to get into. Uh, we start out with, um, whoever keeps himself, the wicked one doesn't touch him. So that's our job, keep ourselves, right? And the Greek there is literally guards himself, whoever guards himself. So we need to be on guard against a world under the sway of the wicked one so that the wicked one can't touch us, right? Now, what I want you to see is that this is actually the first priority of spiritual warfare. If you ask the average Christian, uh, you know, Pastor Tony is going to teach you on spiritual warfare this week. Uh, what do you think he's going to talk about? And you'll probably get something like, you know, doing battle in the heavens and principalities and powers and casting out devils and all that stuff. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, yeah, we do all that. That's secondary. The first thing we do is rule ourselves. If we don't do that, it's really hard to be effective in the others. You understand? And so, uh, this is, you know, not always fun, right? I mean, uh, I'll just be honest with you. Ruling Tony is a pain in the butt. <laughs> he can be lazy. He can be selfish. He can be rebellious. And it's every stinking day. <laughs> and I, sometimes I just get tired. It wears me out. It's exhausting. I just go, Tony, go do whatever you want. I don't care. I am tired of fighting you. That's just me. You guys probably have easier people to rule, right? <laughs> Are you with me? Do I, do I need to go on or you get it? Yeah. It's a pain in the butt, isn't it? Ruling yourself. It's not, it's not exciting. It's hard. And it's every day. And I'll tell you this. I don't have a chance of ruling Tony without the Holy Spirit. Not a chance. I tried it. Doesn't work. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that even enables me to do this. And so I'm using hyperbole a little here to make a point. But I, but I, I want you to get that uh, we can't just uh, shelve this because it's difficult. We all have to rule ourselves. But we can do it. The Holy Spirit in us is greater, and we can do it. We are able to do it. So we got to learn how. And so that's what I want to teach you this morning. Spiritual warfare is about ruling ourselves, keeping ourselves, uh, ruling over ourselves. Now, um, 
Oh, I did. I skipped something I want to cover. The reason is this. This is all stuff we've hit before, uh, but I want to review this because this is important. Uh, we've talked about we're at war. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 um, says, walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary to one another. They don't get along. They're in a fight. So we have a war and the war is between flesh and spirit. And what's this war for? Well, it's for ruling. In Genesis 4, verse 7, remember when God's talking to Cain, he says, hey, buddy, uh, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to rule over you, but you should rule over it. Someone's going to rule. Sin's going to rule, or you're going to rule, right? So we're in a war for rule. Romans 6, 12 says, um, I knew this a minute ago, uh, that we should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies or rule in our mortal bodies, that we should obey it in its lusts. So where's this rule trying to occur? In our bodies. So you see, if we put those three verses together, that we are at war for the rule of ourselves. It's not like you can just take a day off and go, you know, uh, I'm just going to leave me alone for a while. We'll be fine. I'll come back and rule me later. Because there's an enemy that's trying to rule you all the time. And we'll take advantage of that. Right? So again, we are at war for the rule of ourselves, which is challenging and exhausting and annoying and only possible by the Holy Spirit. So let's try and get to the encouraging part. All right. <laughs> we'll get there. We can't do it. We can't do it. All right. Now, uh, the second part here is where it says the wicked one does not touch him. And interesting, in the Greek, the word touch means to fasten to. And so it's literally saying the wicked one does not fasten to him. So here's what I want you to understand. Uh, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? If we walk with God, if we... If we pick up God's word and we read it and go, yeah, yes, I agree with that. That's faith. That's agreement. And we get to walk with God. If Satan lies to us and we go, yeah, I agree with that. Guess who gets to walk with us? Satan, right? So when we, agreement is access. That immediately creates a handle for him to fasten to. The evil one does not fasten to us if we, don't, if we keep ourselves. If we don't keep ourselves, then we produce handles where he can fasten to us. You understand what's going on? And so this, all the time, the devil is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. He's roaming around looking for, not just him, I mean lots of devils, he's got a big staff. Uh, he's, they're running around looking for handles and they're doing things and saying things to try and create handles to try and trick you into giving them a handle and if you give them a handle they will fasten themselves to you and they will begin the process of trying to exert control over your life to varying degrees that's just the deal guys that's just the reality of the war that we're in okay and so agreement is access these handles come through things like believing lies, 
through things like believing that our feelings uh, represent truth when sometimes they don't. And so our feelings can create handles. Uh, sometimes it's things like our wounds. And, you know, you didn't do that to yourself. Someone else did that to you. But if you don't deal with your wounds properly, your spiritual wounding, uh, they can create handles. The devil can begin to have influence in your life. Uh, sin, just simple agreement. That's a, a great way to agree. You know, you, uh, the, one of the obvious ones, you can't, you know, you go to a, play with a Ouija board and have a seance, you're probably going to open some doors, That's right? right? Uh, sin, agreement, handle, Right? And there are obviously lots more subtle ways to do that than the, the others. But what I'm most concerned about is what I call unguarded ignorance, because devils don't play fair. Uh, they will try and get access to infants, children uh, that can't defend themselves. And the parents maybe don't know how to defend them at that, at that point. They will get access to just people who are ignorant, don't know any better. They don't care. There's no rules. They just want access. They want to control you. And so things like a simple thing, like just feeling being a young person and needing an identity and having trouble fitting in and devils come along and go, I'll give you an identity. I'll give you a place to fit in. And it seems innocent, but it comes with devils. It just comes with devils. Just that real guys. And so uh, you got to get this. The most common one I see, and I'm going to give you this one because it is, it's, uh, maybe different. You go to another country, maybe more. Maybe they have different devils and there's you know different trends. But the most common one I see is uh, so common that I guarantee uh, there are people in this room who have gone through this cycle. Here's what it is: it starts with rejection, and everyone gets rejected, right? Some of it can be profound. It can be a parent that says you're never going to amount to anything, or it can be uh, the the kids at school who were mean to you. Whatever. Uh, but here's what happens. If we, uh, that wound of rejection, what I've found very commonly in my experience with deliverance and stuff like that, is it creates a spirit of rejection, or it opens a door, it creates a handle for a spirit of rejection. And a spirit of rejection's best friend is a spirit of rebellion. And here's what happens. Uh, the wounding is there, the rejection takes hold, you're looking for the next rejection, and a spirit of rebellion comes along and says, I got a way you can never be rejected again. You just take control of your life. Or you push people away. Or you control the playing field. No one can tell you what to do. And I've seen this again and again and again. Spirit of rejection followed by a spirit of rebellion. And 15 years later, uh, someone's life a mess and they don't understand why. And it's because there was a handle created way back when they, and they just were ignorant. They just thought they were coping. It's just a coping mechanism. It's just a way to get through life. Devils will help you get through life. Uh, but they will attach themselves to you. And they're, they're like remorse. They just are there to suck the life out of you. Now, don't raise your hands, but uh, some of you recognize that, yeah? That, uh, that rejection, rebellion scenario. And God brought you out of that. And so, again, we need to see that they're looking for handles, and if we aren't careful, uh, we can give them handles. Now, I'm kind of covering the basics here, and then we'll get to the other part I wanted to do today, but uh, this, I should at this point interject, uh, okay, you know, 
maybe you're here and you're going, that's me. I'm there right now. I, that totally describes where I'm at. How do I get back? Well, here's the way back. It's pretty simple. Uh, in terms of understanding, now there are nuances and uh, the Spirit might lead you to do different things uh, as you get your way back. But it's basically this. The way back is first, repentance. God forgive me for believing that lie, for uh, uh, not forgiving that person, for whatever that got you there. And then you just take away uh, the handle. So I repent, I break agreement, and I use authority in the name of Jesus. It's just those three things. That's how you get back. Lord, I repent of believing that lie and, and, uh, and worrying about things I wasn't supposed to worry about. And I break agreement with the, with the spirit of anxiety and fear. And, and I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you have to leave me. I bind you. There's lots of ways you can say it. But it's basically those three things. Lord, I, I, I repent. I come back into agreement with you. I break agreement with the enemy. I take away that handle. And I use authority in the name of Jesus to command the enemy to go. Everybody got it? You do not have to be a pastor to do that. I love those a story I heard about a pastor. He was just tired. and Some lady called him up at 2 in the morning. He said, Pastor, you got to come over to my house. There's a devil in the house. And he goes, it's 2 in the morning. I don't want to come to your house. She goes, Pastor, there's a devil in the house. I mean, it's weird things are happening. He goes, tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. She goes, will that work? He goes, if it doesn't work for you, it's not going to work for me either. And he went back to bed. And she used the authority of the name of Jesus. Right? It's Jesus, uh, not because you learned something or used the right verse. Okay? You have authority in the name of Jesus. But you also have to repent and break agreement. Amen? Pretty simple. Okay. So you guys can start, you know, going home practice on your pets, cast things out, it'll be fun. I'm sure my cat needs it, but I'm not, yeah. Now, here's the thing about authority that I want to show you. Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, they've just gone out and they've cast devils out of people and they thought it was a lot of fun and they came back and they're very excited about it. He said, yeah, really be excited that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he says this, he says, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. That's pretty good, right? So if you're being harmed by something demonic, well, we should try and stop that, right? Now here's the thing. Here's what a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians pray about this. God, it's harming me. You said nothing would by any means harm me. God, make this stop harming me. Right? And God goes, read the first part of the verse. I have given you authority. And so we, a lot of times, I see Christians just sitting around, getting beat up, praying for God to set them free. And God's going, I've given you authority. Uh, I've given you, you, authority. You have authority. Use my name. You don't have to be harmed, but you can't not be harmed unless you take up the authority I've given you. Do you understand what's going on here? Again, this is simple stuff, but we fall for these lies, and we think that we have to be special or something. Just take the authority God's given you 
and go, hey, you got to quit harming me, devil. Not taking this anymore. Now, sometimes it's a fight. It's not always, you know, 30 seconds. Sometimes, uh, you know, I know Rachel dealing with the travel and spirit of fear. Uh, cast that thing out. And then spent about six months fighting it. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So again, you got to be committed to this. It's kind of like ruling yourself every day, right? Okay, so actually let's talk about that now. Because I've, the other thing I see, I see Christians that sometimes uh, will pray about being free but won't take authority. And so they never get free. Um, or they come to me, want me to take authority. And I'm like, well, that'll work while you're with me. <laughs> But when you leave and I'm not with you, if that thing comes back, what are you going to do? Right? So you got to learn to take authority. Now, deliverance is not a quick fix. Now, I have experience with deliverance. I, I believe in I like de deliverance to me is easier than healing because it's just authority. Healing requires faith, and that's harder. Uh, so I don't have any problem casting out devils. But what I find is a lot of times people come and they're, they're, they've got an issue and they're thinking, if I can just get the right person to cast this devil out of me, I'll be fine. Well, here's the problem. Because the right person can cast the devil out of you, but you know what? That does not cure the problem of you ruling yourself. And so if you gave the devil handles and I cast it out and you don't take away those handles, what's going to happen in a couple weeks? Yeah. Have you read in Luke 11 where Jesus said when the devil is cast out, it goes into dry places seeking rest and not finding any. It comes back to its home, that would be you, and finds it swept clean and nobody there, nobody guarding it. And it takes seven worse devils than itself and it moves in. And the situation is worse than it was before. You understand what's going on? And so uh, we got to not fall for the trap of thinking that just because it's demonic, if I just take authority over it, I'm done. That does not solve. That's just the start. You take authority over it, and then you have to guard yourself, rule yourself. You have to learn how to do this. No matter what, you have to learn how to do this as a Christian. Okay? And so I, I say this because this is, again, a common thing I get where people... Uh, feel like if they can just get the right person to cast the devil out of them, they'll be okay. And it would be wonderful if it worked that way uh, because then I wouldn't have to exercise discipline, right? In my own personal life, uh, which is, you know, tiring. All right. I can tell we're having fun. Okay. And commonly, the longer we let it go, the longer we have the habit of whatever this issue is, uh, the harder it is once we decide to go after it. The harder the fight is sometimes to get free. And that's not always the case. I know people in this room who've been set free instantly and just never had an issue again. And God does that sometimes. Uh, and I don't know why, not all the time, but it's not all the time. And so you better be ready for a fight. And uh, if God does the whole, I'm free in an instant, then just, you know, be real happy. <laughs> but... Uh, we got to do this, guys. This is spiritual warfare, ruling ourselves, um, taking authority. All right, let's go on. So we talked about uh, that. The third term I want to talk about where it says 
The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This is interesting because the Greek there actually is saying the whole world lies in the wicked one. When it says under the sway, it means in him. In the same way, in, in the second part of that verse, he talks about us being in Christ. We spent a whole lot of time talking about in Ephesians how we're in him. We're in Christ. What he's literally saying there is the world is in the wicked one. In the same way we're in Christ, in fellowship, they're in the wicked one, even if they don't know it, right? That was us before we came to Jesus. And so he's contrasting here being in Christ with being in the wicked one. He says, uh, the world lies in the wicked one. And so they're under the influence of the wicked one, whether they know it or not. And so when we interact with the world, we always have to be on guard for the influence of the wicked one, right? And uh, he contrasts that with us. We know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. So they're in the wicked one. We're in Jesus. And so we have this understanding by the Spirit. And because we're in him and we know him, we get truth. Truth is a big deal. We'll see that in a minute, all right? And so then he says, keep yourselves from idols, so he's going through all this to say, look, you don't want to, you don't want to, you got to keep away from idols as you're interacting with the world because you don't want to inadvertently get a handle where the devil can fast himself to you. You want to keep yourself. That's all he's saying, right? Now, this is challenging. It's getting more challenging every day. Uh, you know, uh, John wrote this. He didn't have 843 channels to watch at night to help him get handles right? It's getting harder, isn't it? All right. So we're to guard ourselves. And here's the weird thing. We're to guard ourselves against a world we're called to love and be salt and light to. So how do we do this strange thing? How do we guard ourselves against a world that is our mission, that is our calling, that we have to go and love them? Well, uh, in 1 John 4, a little bit earlier, he gives us some understanding of this. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, them in context, a few verses earlier, he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist or Antichrist spirits. So he means devils. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, that would be Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. That would be the spirit of Antichrist. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. May I just say that if the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, we should not be surprised when they talk like they're under the sway of the devil and they listen to each other. Why does that continue to surprise us? Let's just get over that. They're going to say world things and they're going to listen to each other say world things. And we are on a mission to change that. It says, we are of God. Uh, he who knows God hears us. He who does not, does not hear us. So this is real simple. Uh, people who know God hear us. People who know us don't, don't. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So there's a spirit of truth that dwells in us. There's a spirit of error that is in every person in the world. Okay? And so What's going on is we're trying to convert the world without getting flipped. It's like spy versus spy. So we're going, hey, you want to switch from a spirit of error to a spirit of truth? 
And sometimes they go, yeah, tell me more. Sometimes they go, no, 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 I'm enjoying my air. It's a lot of fun. In fact, I'm going to be doing something later. You want to join me? And we got to be able to go, bro, I love you, but no, you're trying to flip me. The spirit that is in you is trying to flip me and make me a counteragent for the other side. I got I to gotta guard against that. You understand what's going on? So it's a strange position we're in to love this world that we have to guard against because they're all under the sway. They're all in the wicked one. Strange, isn't it? And yet that's the job. And so to do that effectively, we have to rule ourselves out in the midst of a world that's trying to flip us to serve the spirit of error, right? Now, talking about ruling ourselves, what often happens, if I say that, is we will try to master our actions, our outward stuff. Any of you have tried, again, don't raise your hand, I know it's everyone, uh, tried to, just in the strength of your own will, rule your outward actions and failed, right? So I want to suggest to you that we will never master ruling ourselves outwardly until we first master ruling ourselves inwardly, okay? And so this is what I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks. There are three areas, and they typically come in this order, where we have to rule ourselves inwardly. The first is we have to learn to rule our emotions and our feelings. Same thing. The second is we have to learn to rule our words. And the third is we have to learn to rule our thoughts. All of these are challenging. But that's what you signed up for, whether you know it or not, when you became a Christian. Okay? Now, uh, we will get into two and three in... Uh, the second and third parts of our series. But today, I want to go ahead and talk about the first one, ruling our emotions. All right? You ready, young people? All right. You're going to love this. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. It's a really clear picture. It says, whoever doesn't rule his spirit is defenseless. If in those days, you wanted to live in a city with walls because when the enemy came, if there were no walls, they came to your door, knocked it down, killed you, and took your stuff, right? So walls were a defense. They were a guard. So this is, again, addressing those things that we need to guard ourselves. And it says, if we can't rule our spirit, if we can't rule our emotions and our feelings, we're unguarded, literally unguarded. We're a city without walls. The enemy can just come in, run around, do whatever he wants, and manipulate us. See, ruling our emotions and our feelings is the first line of defense against manipulation. And the devil is a master manipulator. He has had at least 6,000 years to practice manipulating humans. He's really good at it. And so this realm of emotions is kind of a demonic home field advantage because it's not based in truth. Your feelings may be true. They might not be true. How many of you have had a feeling that you found out wasn't true? I feel like that guy just doesn't, I feel like she meant this when she, and then you get into it and you go, oh, now I feel stupid, right? <laughs> you relate? We've all done it. Really, 
profound, significant feelings that were just flat wrong. And the devil is willing to jump in there and try and add to your feelings. So uh, this is the first line of defense against manipulation. Feelings. I used to, how many of you played sports? How many of you learned that if you could get your opponent into their emotions, you could control them? This is a major factor in sports, right? Get your opponent mad, scared, anything, and then you can control them and win. It's a, it's a valid technique. The devil's really better at it than any of us, okay? And so uh, we have to rule our emotions to defend ourselves. This is, in fact, the first thing, it should be the first level of training we give children, right? And in fact, it's one of the ways we find out how people are maturing, is the ability to rule over your emotions is a sign of maturity. So for example, you go into the grocery store and maybe you see, you know, a mom bent over a kid lying on the floor going, you know, teaching them at that first level how to rule over their emotions. No, Junior, we do not throw ourselves on the floor and wail at the top of our lungs when we can't have M&Ms at Publix. Sounds like a lot of you have experienced this. What are you doing? You're going, I've got, a, I've got a small human that doesn't know how to rule over their emotions, and I'm trying to teach them how to do that. Parents, if you're parenting and you're not actively trying to teach your children how to rule over their emotions, holy cow, you better start. Amen. Wait till they get to be 15 and they have no control over their emotions. 13. 13. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. But the ability to rule over emotions is a sign of maturity. Gary, for example, we know he's mature because when Bonnie takes him to the grocery store, she never has to tell him not to throw a tantrum if, she, if he puts something in the cart and she takes it out. Right? It's a clear sign of maturity. But you, 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 yes, there are other signs. But my point is, in general, we recognize that, uh, that the ability to rule over our emotions is a sign of maturity. Now, we recognize that, but we have uh, a whole culture around us nowadays of people who are uh, old enough to know better and don't, and are not exhibiting that control of their emotions, uh, don't have self-control, right? So, get back to my notes here. Um, where was I? Um, right. Right. Uh, oh, I did want to say this. Um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember that? And so, it's... And, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, you'll know them, uh, he's talking about false and true prophets. He says, you'll know them by their gifting, by their, how much they know the Bible? By what? By their fruit. You can tell they're mature Christians by their ability to rule over themselves, by their ability to bear the fruit of the Spirit, things like self-control. Right? You getting this? 
So this is just part of maturing as a Christian, just like in life. And so the world uh, doesn't always get this and isn't ruling over their spirit lately very much at all, right? And here's why. Uh, the world, remember, this is the same world that is under the sway of the wicked one that we should not be surprised if they speak as the world speaks and listen to each other. The world says, above all else, validate feelings. The very thing we're trying to rule over, the world says, you got to validate feelings. You got to acknowledge people's feelings and you got to nod your head and look serious, no matter how crazy they are, and act like that feeling's valid, because that crazy feeling is theirs, and you got to validate it. And in fact, we're encouraging them to express it. You got to express your feelings. And maybe you have crazy feelings. We need you to express those feelings so we can validate your crazy feelings too. That's the world we're living in. That's the one that we're trying not to let flip us, right? Be real careful, even though we're getting angry or frustrated or whatever uh, over different stuff. Be real careful that we're not just getting angry or frustrated, that we're not also just being led to have emotional reactions to confront their emotional reactions, right? Because that's what the devil would love. Just get us on either side of a fence yelling at each other. Let the feelings roll, right? No self-control at all. Anyway, anyway, it's just a scenario. Could happen. Proverbs 29, 11. This is the word of God. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Interesting, the word there for feelings is ruach. Same Hebrew word in 25 for who has no rule over his own spirit. Spirit. Fool vents all the spirit. Whatever's in my spirit, that has got to come out. Somebody's got to hear this. Thank God for Facebook and Twitter and all those places I can vent all my feelings. But a wise man holds them back. So I have to ask you a question. What you doing mostly? Ruling or venting? Just, just curious. Just a thought. Ruling or venting? I do a little of both. One of them sin. <laughs> right? Tony's hard to rule. All right. That's probably enough poking the bear. I'll move on. <laughs> now, I am, I am not saying that, you know, like emotions are bad and, you know, <laughs> we shouldn't have them. That's not what I'm saying. You understand. Emotions, I wondered how many of you would get that. <laughs> emotions are a gift from God. God has emotions. You know what another fruit of the Spirit is? Joy. That's an emotion. You know what's at the right hand of God? Pleasures forevermore. Joy in His presence. God gave us emotions. Emotions are good. Emotions are a gift. Emotions, though, are incredibly unreliable guides. That's the problem. They are unreliable guides. Emotions should serve us. We should not serve them. Get it? So we need to know this. We need to teach our children this. And this is, and Rachel, why don't you grab the mic real quick and do this. We've talked about this several times, but this just is so good that we, we 
whenever we talk about this, we need to remind you of this. She had a, a dream that just really illustrates this that I want to have her share. Yeah, Gary just referenced it a couple of weeks ago. Um, this, this, I had this dream way back during the renewal time, and it's one of those I, I shared at the time, and it was kind of plop. But in the, I've shared it more in the last decade, and it's the Lord has been on it. So if you have something sitting on your heart and doesn't seem to be going anywhere, just wait. The Lord might do it later on down the line. Anyway, in this dream, uh, the Lord was over my shoulder. I was in my, my actual house at the time. The Lord is behind me. And he's showing me um, a blender is plugged into the bathroom and a curling iron is plugged into the kitchen. And what he was telling me, those are functioning places. You can run your blender in the bathroom and you can curl your hair in the kitchen. Those are valid those are valid plugs. They're just not practical. They're not in the right place. And so what he said to me was some people have their faith plugged into their feelings and their truth into their experience. Their faith is plugged into their feelings and their truth is in their experience. Your faith and your, feel and your truth, your faith and your truth must be plugged into the word of God because then they will bring justice to your feelings and justice to your experience. So you must be plugged into the word of God. So. Amen. We will get into talking about that more later. Uh, so let's finish up with this. How do we rule our emotions? I want to make three points here. Uh, the first point in how do we rule our emotions is just realize we can. This is a big deal. A lot of people think that your emotions just, they have you. And you know, whatever emotion you're feeling, well, you're just stuck with that emotion. And that's not true. You can choose. We can choose. Now, it uh, doesn't mean we can just always flip like that. Sometimes there's some work involved. But we can choose to a very high degree what emotions we're going to allow or experience. Some of them are appropriate. If you're experiencing one you don't like, you can choose to work on changing that. And so as an example of this, a uh, long time ago, I remember it was a long time ago, I was, I was single, and I was in my apartment, and I was just feeling heavy. You ever had that where you just feel heavy? Just felt blah. And I'm sitting there going, I feel blah, I'm feeling heavy. And this little passage of scripture drips through my mind, Isaiah 61.3. He has given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that would work. And I'm the only one in my apartment, so it doesn't matter if I look crazy, right? So I think, well, I'm just going to start praising God. So I just start dancing around, you know, singing praise songs and uh, praising God in my apartment. Now, nothing happens except for me feeling stupid for like 20 minutes. <laughs> but about 20 minutes into that, the presence of God breaks in, and I am genuinely experiencing a different emotion. Uh, I changed my emotion, uh, and I'm having lots of fun now. Now I'm having fun praising because I'm full of joy, and God's there. And, and, and I went, okay, that verse actually worked. Apparently the garment of praise does trump spirit of heaviness. Who knew? Right? So we can use the word. Just realizing we can rule over our emotions is a big deal. The second thing is we validate truth, not feelings. We just decide. I'm not validating your feelings or my feelings. They may or may not be valid. I don't know. I'm validating truth. I'm after truth. And feelings will often follow once you get truth. And so the scripture uh, encourages us in this. John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you 
free. Now, the world wants you to think, express yourself. That's where freedom is. Let your feelings go. Go with your feelings. Be free. You know what I found? Sometimes going with my feelings leads to freedom. Better than half the time going with my feelings has led to bondage. So maybe not. Maybe I don't validate my feelings. Maybe I validate truth. And my feelings can follow along after. Just a thought. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that in the last days, people will be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist because they did not have a love for the truth. They did not let the love of truth enter them. We've got to decide we're going to love truth above our feelings and emotions. Or we're going to be we're going to be deceived, believe lies, and those are handles where the devil can attach himself to us, right? So truth or devils, your pick. Okay. Know this also, confronting our feelings is going to require some dying to ourselves, which is unpleasant. No one likes that, right? But that's just part of the deal. In Psalm 51, I love this, it says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. How many of you want wisdom? How many of you realize he wants to start in here? Truth in the inward parts. So here's what that looks like. You're in conflict with someone, and you go, God, I love truth. I want to know the truth. Show me truth in this conflict, God. And God goes, great, let's start by looking at your heart. And you go, no, no. I meant, what's up with that guy? <laughs> God goes, I'll be happy to show you what's up with that guy as soon as we take a look at what's wrong with your heart. But God, it's not what I was asking, it's, but that's where I start. I want to start with truth in the inward parts, and then we'll work up to that guy. So understand, for you to desire, I'm going to validate truth, I'm going to rule over my emotions, it's, it's going to cause some dying and the inward parts. Just got to know that, okay? But this is what we do as Christians. And then finally, and probably the most important, we use the word. We rule over our emotions by using the word, which is the source of truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, he's praying, he says, sanctify them by your word. Set them apart. Make them different by your word. Your word is truth. You're guaranteed you're getting truth if you can apply Scripture to whatever you're doing. I'll give you a quick example. I love this one. I've told this one many times because this is my textbook example for how this works. 15-year-old girl in youth church comes to me and says, I'm having a problem with anger. And uh, I, I keep losing my temper. Uh, I got three sisters. Uh, I'm liable to kill one of them. Uh, you parents get this. So uh, she's losing her temper. I said, all right. I said, here's what I want you to do. I'm not even going to tell you why I'm having you do this. I'll explain that to you later. I just want you to do this. I want you to get two three-by-five cards. On one of them, I want you to write Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not hasten your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. And no one likes to be a fool. And on the other one, I want you to write Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I said, all I want you to do is keep those with you, and whenever you feel yourself starting to get angry, I just want you to take them out and say them. That's it. That's all I want you to do. So, uh, she does, and she gets to the point where 
you know, she doesn't need the three by five cards because they're not that hard to memorize. And she's doing it a lot because she has an anger issue, right? Uh, so three weeks later, her parents, not her, her parents come to me and go, what did you say to our daughter? I go, why? She's a different person. She's not losing her temper anymore. Two scriptures. We'll talk more about that in part two when we talk about ruling over our words. Amen? Amen. All right. Is this helpful? Yes. Was it painful? Yes. <laughs> Good, because I, I feel the pain and you should too. All right. It's okay. We only have to do this as long as we have bodies. I love, I've been, honestly, I was talking about, I've been encouraged lately. I was, you know, in uh, 1 John 2, talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, all those things that we battle on an ongoing basis. And it ends by saying, John says, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And I'd read that, and I'd go, this is hard, but, but lust is passing away. And whoever does the word of God isn't passing away. Like, that's good. I can, I can, I can tough it out for a lifetime for that. <laughs> right? Amen. All right. It's going to be good. Let's have the band up. Let's go back into worship. Now, if this brought something up and lights went on and you went, Yep, I see where I got some handles. Uh, just deal with it. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to come to the mic. You don't have to tell us all your stuff. We probably don't want to know anyway. Um, just go through those three steps. God, I repent. Uh, I'm breaking agreement. I'm taking that handle off. And uh, I'm taking authority in the name of Jesus and saying, no, no more. Not having it. Right? You can come up front, have the altar. You can, whatever you want to do, but... Uh, mostly, let's just go to God and go, yeah, God, we can do this. I just want to, for me, uh, it's just kind of, you get tired, and I'm just kind of re-signing up, going, I've forgotten how important it is that I rule myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just re-sign up, God, and rule myself. Right? Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand. Lord, we thank you that not only have you called us to rule ourselves. Uh, Lord, that's what's different in the New Testament. That's what's different by you giving us your Holy Spirit. They had to try and follow the law with no help. Lord, you have given us capacity to rule ourselves and to overcome the evil one. Uh, Lord, I pray for myself, for all of us here, for a greater ability as as darkness increases to increase our light, to, uh, to understand this, or to just walk free of all these things, or to be able to be in the world, uh, Lord, but not be touched by the evil one because we're keeping ourselves. Lord, we just ask for your help, for your spirit. We thank you that when we come boldly before your throne, you give us mercy and you give us grace to overcome. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us and strengthen your people with might through your spirit in our inner man. Thank you, Jesus.